so I, I've been giving a I've been given a daunting task, and and here's what I mean by daunting. The the topic I have been given is um, leading for the glory of God, um, and and what? How big is that, right? Uh, I mean, where do you even begin with a topic like that? And and so I'll, I'll start here. Um, our motivations matter. Our motivations matter, and that's awful, isn't it? We should be straight. That, that our, the fact that our motivations matter is a bit scary. Um, and, and so we know our motivation matters. What I say by motivation is our reasons by which we do things. Uh, the reason why we know motivations matter is because, first of all, we'll start with the easy one, the Bible tells us they do. Right? That's always the safe bet. The Bible says so. Um, and here's where we see that. Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 1, it says this. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then, <clears throat> for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. All right? So that's a motivation text, isn't it? So beware of practicing your righteousness in order to be seen by other people. So what we know is that practicing righteousness is not a bad thing per se. I don't think God gets upset as we be obedient to his word. And yet, the warning of Jesus is if you are practicing your righteousness with the motivation to be uh, applauded or approved of by other people, then, then it's broken. All right? And then again... In 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7, it says this, Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a what? A cheerful giver. Now tell me that isn't motivation-based. Right? So don't give uh, under compulsion. Right? If you give because a pastor or a minister or somebody kind of did a drive-by guilting on you, all right, then um, the Bible saying that's the wrong motive. Compulsion, guilt, shame is the wrong motive. In fact, even to give reluctantly is poisonous motive. No, no, no. God loves the cheerful giver, the happy giver. Right? So we know the, the Bible tells us motivations matter. And then on top of that, we also know um, that motivations, if not deeply rooted, are fickle. And again, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a step and just kind of describe some American culture. I, I feel like it's going to be true here. Don't know. Throw it out there. If you don't like it, just send it right back. Okay? Um, so uh, here's what I know. Um, every, I, I've worked out at the same gym, uh, and I'm knowing it, I know it's showing. I, I've worked out at, at the same gym. So Leon's gets to make black jokes. I get to make skinny white guy jokes. All right? And so uh, in, in the I've worked out at the same gym uh, for the last two and a half, three years. And here's what happens every January. All right, there's a normal kind of crew of us that, that works out. And then come January, there's 90 new people that show up at the box. And, and now there's not enough weights. And we've got to go in shifts. And, you know, right, that, that's what ends up happening. But here's what I know. By March, it'll be us again. And, and so they come in and they're all amped up and, and watching YouTube videos. All right, and then they, they start working out for a bit and then they fade because motivation is fickle. And, and then there are other ones, right? I mean, people start budgets and then don't stay on them. People start to memorize scripture and then stop. I mean, tell me it is not true that you come to events like this and make all sorts of promises about how things are going to change when you leave here. Every time. Tell me already today you haven't gone, you know what, I feel like I'm transitioning a new season of my spiritual journey. <laughs> tell me you haven't done it already. I mean, already today, you've already, maybe it happened in the breakout. Maybe Pastor Leon's talking about being in the Word. And you're like, you know what, I feel it coming. I feel like I'm in a new season. A season of the word. 
feel like that's where I am now, right? You, you feel you're motivated, all right? Now, let's be straight with one another, all right? Uh, let, let's be honest with one another. You've said that to yourself before, hadn't you? You've come to something like, man, I'm going to be a person of the word now. And here's what's great. For the next few days, you're going to be awesome. And, and then it'll, you know, just start to fade a little bit. Something will happen, pressure some mound. You'll go back to what you were being before. In, in one sense, this is what makes grace so spectacular. And in another sense, it's why we, our motivations must be more deeply rooted. And so we know that motivations matter. And, and we know, uh, ultimately, we know that because the Bible, um, the, the Bible tells us it is. And our own experience has shown us that motivations can be fickle. Now, um, with that said, let me tell you why motivations matter, especially in Christian ministry. Motivation matters for two reasons. All right. Um, the first is for the rest of your life, there will be parts of the old man, parts of the flesh that long for the approval of man, that want to be praised, that want to be recognized, that want to be made much of. And so just so uh, I'm not trying to say you versus me, here's why I, I love Jesus Christ. I, I know that I'm not, I don't wonder if I love him. I know I love Jesus. I'm just consumed with a zeal for his name. But I learned early that by being consumed for his name and his renown, by making much of him, other people made much of me. So I, I know that we'll wrestle with we want to be approved of, we want to be applauded, we want to, I won't trust a man who says he doesn't. I think he's a liar. Like if you came up to me like, thanks so much for sharing your heart, I don't struggle with that in any way. I don't want anybody to prove me. I don't want to, I'd just be like, all right, thanks, bro. Will you sign my Bible? I mean, I would. You're freaking amazing. And, and so we feel that. Now, here's the second one. Now, we're talking about why motives matter, especially in ministry, in light of leading for the glory and to the glory of God. All right? The first is there'll always be varying degrees, all right, aspects of our flesh that want to be praised, want to be applauded, want to be made much of, while simultaneously there will be people willing to praise the tool rather than the craftsman. And that is a deadly combination. Where you have uh, aspects of your flesh that long to be made much of alongside of those who very well-meaning get confused what is the tool and what is the work of the craftsman, then, then you've got yourself a bit of a toxic cocktail there that will elevate your value, your picture of yourself, and will devalue God. And when that happens, prayer goes... Belief in the sufficiency of the word goes. The pressure to be creative and innovative and insightful builds. And all vitality, vitality, energy, and zeal for the Lord begins to wane as you feel the pressure of trying to carry the load. So our motivations matter. Now, this is why, uh, as we follow men in the Bible, they're aware of this toxic cocktail. And say, John the Baptist says this, um, he must increase, I must decrease. He must increase, uh, I must decrease. You, you see the Apostle Paul entering straight into that toxic cocktail at Corinth saying, listen, I planted, Apollos watered, only God makes it grow. Stop this. I am of Peter, I am of Paul, I'm of Apollos. Are you serious? What did we do? What are we but servants? What are we but slaves to the Most High? See what happened? I mean, there were people in Corinth going, man, look at that hammer. 
That hammer's amazing. I don't like the hammer. I like the wrench. That wrench is legit. And Paul's going, hey, morons. This paraphrase, if you try to look that up, in, it's not going to read like that in the text, all right? He's saying, no, 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 no. It's God who uses the tools. It's God who is the craftsman. Anything that is good in you or in me, anything that is good and kingdom-oriented that comes out of us is not of us but him. Let's be careful lest we touch it. He must increase. We must decrease. Now, so that sounds great, right? I mean, I don't think I said anything in that little 10-minute uh, intro that just blew anybody's mind. I don't think anybody went, now wait, what? You mean I'm going to have some pride in me and, and then at, at times people are going to feed that pride? I, that's, I've never heard. That's amazing. Right? I, I just think probably everything I said, you know. You felt and by the grace of God, hopefully you've wrestled with. So yes, 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 yes. He must increase. I must decrease. But here's where I want to spend our time. How? Right? Because I know this. I know I've got to decrease and he's got to increase, but how do I camp out there if I'm leading for the glory of God and my tendency is to lead for my own glory and there are other people who are going to praise some of my efforts that will make me believe that I have some glory in all of this? What's the answer? Well, if you have your Bibles, flip over to Psalm chapter 8. Here's how I think you stay lowly Here's how I think you stay in the position in which you must stay for fullness of life, vitality in your relationship with Jesus Christ, and fullness of God in gospel ministry. I think we camp out, we posture ourselves, and we become experts in the holiness of God. Now, I, I think holiness is one of those words that we kind of, we, we've got like a three-word definition for it. You know, it's like set apart. But I, I want to I do this. When we talk about the holiness of God, I'm going uh, to put a, a definition up here. This isn't my definition, but it's a definition that I like, and I think it creates the posture of heart that we need in regards to him increasing and us dis- decreasing, at, at least in how we understand what's going on and how things are working. Here's the definition. The holiness of God, or when we speak of the holiness of God, we, it, we're describing both the majesty of God and the purity and moral perfection of his nature. All right, so once again, the holiness of God describes both the majesty of God and the purity and moral perfection of his nature. Okay, um, after I finished my last round of chemotherapy, I was in terrible shape, and I had been invited to hike the Inca Trail with a group of lost guys. Uh, so Inca Trails, South America, Andes, uh, and, and so I'd been invited, group of lost guys, or a couple of Christians had arranged it, invited a bunch of lost dudes, and we were going to hike the Inca Trail, and then at night around the campfire, uh, I would get to just share the gospel and a- answer questions. So I mean, that, yes, please. So one, now I've got motivation to get back in shape, right? Lord willing, if I can. And, and then, man, hiking the Andes sounds awesome. It's not, it's awful, but it sounds awesome. I done it. it sounds so romantic, hiking the Inca Trail. Let's get it. All right, so um, I start training. Get ready to go. I mean, I look like a moron in Dallas. You know, like, um, we, our, our elevation's like four. We've got a backpack on, walking around the trails of Dallas, all right? Just barely a hill here, barely a hill there. And, and so I'm training, 
uh, and then we have these calls leading up to uh, the hike. The hike is um, pretty brutal. I mean, you're gonna you're gonna land at Cusco, eleven thousand feet, and you're gonna acclimate there for a couple of days, and then you're gonna go down uh, to nine thousand feet. I wish I could translate this into meters. I, I cannot. All right, I'm sorry. That, the only thing I will apologize for in regards to America is the fact that we're hanging on to that system. All right. Now, uh, there's probably more to apologize, but that's the only one I'm gonna own here tonight. Okay. Now. Um, so I, we, then you would go down to nine, uh, and the trailhead started at 9,000 feet, and, and then from 9,000 feet, you're going to hike up. Uh, day one's a pretty light hike. You'd make camp, and then day two's called Hell Day. Uh, and, and Hell Day is all day. Um, you're, you're starting out at, at about 10,500 10, feet, and you're going to go up 13,500 feet uh, over the summit and then back down. All right, to your camp for the next night. It's a four-day, uh, um, four-day, three-night hike, and you end at Machu Picchu. And so I, I'm on these calls, and they're kind of coaching us. Make sure you're in good. Uh, hydrate or die. These are the kind of things that you're learning. In fact, um, if I can just be frank with you, what we were told is once on the ground in Cusco, if we're not peeing, urinating, clearly and copiously every 30 minutes we're not drinking enough and so this is what i mean everything's about how you're going to die if you don't do these things and and then they're talking to us about what we need to bring in regards to gear and and what they said is hey it's winter in 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 the southern hemisphere but because of the heights that we'll be at what you're going to find is the mornings are extremely cold and and then uh it will heat up during the day so you need to just layer and so i'm i'm asking certain questions like when you're saying cold like what, what are you talking about brother uh, I mean, I mean, I need like a parka or something. I mean, I've seen those North Face dudes with the mask and the guy. Do I need to look like Han Solo and Empire Strikes Back on this mug, or do I? What do I? Do I need a windbreaker? What do I need? Um, and so they're like, here. You know what? You just trust me. If you brought like a Nike all-terrain gear kind of windbreaker and some sweaters, you'll be fine. So I was like. Nailed it. I already got that. I don't even need to go shopping. And so uh, packed my bag and, and we flew out, landed at 11,000 feet. I've been working my tail off in the gym trying to get ready for this. And 11,000 feet hits you like a truck when you're from Dallas. All right? If you're maybe from some other mountainous region, maybe 11,000 feet doesn't affect you. But I, here I've been training, ready to tackle this mountain. And walking to baggage claim, I had to stop and do this. And so I'm thinking, man, I am in a lot of trouble if we're about to hike a mountain and I can't get to my bag. And so finally get to the bag and, and we head up, acclimate, do some whitewater rafting, then head down to the trailhead. First day, no hitch at all, um, kind of uh, hike for the day. I'm feeling good at this point. And then we make camp, go to bed. The sky was unbelievable. Uh, I mean, you could just see everything up there. Um, and then I woke the next morning um, to the sound of, of rain on our tent. Not hard rain, all right? Um, just just kind of like Seattle rain, like just kind of little pitter-patters, all right? Just not hard rain, all right? Nothing, nothing awful. There's not a hurricane on the mountain, just a little bit of rain uh, on the tent. No worries. Sweater, Nike jacket. Let's get it. Uh, backpack, got all my water. And, and so we start climbing, all right? And, and the, the Incas apparently ha- had like three-year-old sized feet. And, and so I've got size 13. So, I mean, everybody else, well, I've got to walk sideways up these stairs, all right? Because my foot won't fit on the things. And so it, it's raining. And I don't know how sciencey you are, but rain at about 11,000 feet stops being rain and becomes ice bullets, and so now, ice bullets falling. I'm kind of, I'm trying to 
get behind this dude named Nick, lost guy, didn't name Nick, and I'm just letting it pelt that brother while I kind of walk up. And so then, I mean, literally this entire day, all the way up this mountain, we're in ice and in snow. All that's on the right side of us is death, and all that is on the left side of us is a mountain. And dudes are wanting to give up. I mean, some dude, we, we finally passed him. He's just sitting on the mountain crying. I'm just trying to love him like, nobody's coming for you, bro. I mean, no, what are you... That's all we got, man. That's all we got. You can walk this way. You, can, you want to die here on the mountain? All right, nobody's coming. No helicopter coming up this high. Walk. <laughs> I left that, bro. I don't know if he's alive or not. I just left him. And so uh, as we get to the summit, I mean, no gloves. I mean, literally all day long holding these sticks. No gloves on our hand. I'm just worried, like, are you seeing these things? I mean, I think one of these mugs just break off like a potato chip or something. Hands are free. And then I get to the top. We're making the summit over the top. And as we crest down, all the weather stays behind us on that side of the mountain. And for the first time at 13-something thousand feet, I see the Andes. And they're different than the Rockies. They're different than any mountain range I've ever seen. Or jagged and sharp, and Mr. Evolution behind us is just like, well, if they're a newer range, they're younger, they're like baby mountains. Really, this is what's going on. I'm like, thanks, bro, we'll talk later tonight, but thank you, I appreciate that, I appreciate that. And, and here's, here's what I felt, all right? This, this is the emotion I felt. The emotion I felt was... Like I was caught up in this imposing grandeur. Like I felt small and weak and frail and I loved it. I did. I felt tiny. Like seriously, Mr. Crybaby back there, what are we going to do? Like what can we yell at the mountain? Like we can't control the weather. Nobody can come and get us. There's no ambulance to call. It's just you and the Andes Mountain and the sun hitting those jagged peaks and your ears and your hands and your face beginning to thaw out in this wondrous weird emotion of fear and gladness of heart mingling together that is majesty and in the definition of holiness that we're talking about, we, we, we said that, that holiness was, it described both the majesty of God and the purity and moral perfection of his nature. So majesty, uh, uh, majesty is a lofty dignity, an imposing grandeur that our hearts are hungry for. And one of the keys of us decreasing and God increasing and having our motives refined so that our desire is the glory of God and not our own glory, is to behold the majesty of God, to behold the imposing grandeur of God, to behold it, to be captivated by it, to pursue it, to dwell on it, to think about it until we feel a little bit of fear, the good kind of fear. So a couple of things that I find silly growing in Western culture. One is that if you make anybody feel bad, that's just the worst thing in the world. Now, honestly, some of the moments I felt the worst have been some of the best moments of my life. When I felt guilt and remorse for sin that has led me to repent, that has allowed the grace of God to pour out like hot water on my soul. 
And, and then the second thing, the second thing that, that really kind of bothers me is that you, you, we're kind of making God the sky fairy. Like he's not the sky fairy. Right? He's not a fainting goat. You tracking with me? You know those goats that faint when they get scared? Do you not know these things exist? You've got to Google this. All right? He's the lion of Judah. It's not a fainting goat. So fainting goats, they put them in herds so that when an apex predator comes and tries to kill the herd, the fainting goat blacks out, it eats them, and the rest of the goats get away. Would suck to be a fainting goat. Right? Like you've been bred to die. And our God is majestic. He is imposing in his grandeur. It is a good thing to meditate, consider, and marvel at the size and immensity of God and let a little bit of fear get in your heart. You were born for it. Why do we head to the oceans and the mountains? You, you know where no one vacations in America? Kansas. There's nothing there. Like some corn. We head to the mountains. We head to oceans. We head to places where we can get a little nervous. Our hearts want to be a little nervous. This is looking at imposing grandeur. This is the Andes. This is the Grand Canyon, right? This is the Great Barrier Reef where everything out there wants to kill you. In fact, does everything in Australia want to kill me? It's just like, hey, watch out for this spider, this snake, this king. Don't mess with the red kangaroo that killed a man last week, right? I mean, it's just like everything here wants to kill me. And then you've got ridiculous gun laws where I can't even defend myself from these creatures. Like, you can't go fully auto here. There's something wrong with that. I've got to be precise. I'm not precise. I need the ability to strafe. I'm wheels off right now, Steve. I'm sorry. I'm going to get rebuked. Let's look at this. Psalm 8, starting in verse 1. Oh, golly. O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. How imposing is your grandeur in all of the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens, out of the mouth of babies and infants. That was awesome. Like that kid was crying right as I read that. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. Now let me, because that, that second part of that text is strange, isn't it? Right? Uh, the majesty of God, the grandeur of God. And then this little thing about out of the mouth of children and babies. Now, now here's what's happening in this text here where he says, out of the mouth of babies and infants you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. Children are hardwired and because cynicism hasn't taken root to be in awe and wonderment. Like I've got an 11-year-old, an 8-year-old, and a 5-year-old and for specifically the 8-year-old and the 5-year-old I can see it starting to wane in my 11-year-old and it's heartbreaking. My eight-year-old and five-year-old, everything is still just like, wow. So I've been FaceTiming with my family and my son in particular. I keep telling him I'm in the future. And, um, you know, I, I'm telling him. And then I'll even jack with him a little bit and say, so I'm going to have mom give you a whipping because here in about five hours you're going to do something. And I'm just going to try to heed that out. And he's like, no. I'm like, I'm telling you, bro, I'm in the future. And I'm, this needs to happen. Right? And so you, you've got this. It, and so for him, he, he, it's just blown his mind that I'm in the future. 
like my 11-year-old's like, oh, come on. Right? But Reed, Nora, my 8- and 5-year-old, there's just wonderment. We go to the beach, it's the most amazing thing ever. We head to the park, look at this tree. I mean, everything is, right? But as our hearts grow cynical and cold and we begin to grow up, wonderment fades. David is saying, I'm majestic in all of the earth. And you've shamed the crusty maturity of this age through the wonderment of babies and infants. By the awe that children so easily fall into and adults have grown so hardened to. See, you see God as majestic. That puts you in a certain spot, right? Because God is the Andes, and doesn't he laugh at the Andes? I mean, wouldn't he look at some of these monstrous waves on the north shore of Hawaii and the the spots down here? Like several years ago, I was up north shore in Hawaii during the Vans Triple Crown of surfing. Went up to Pipeline, saw that stuff. Madness. That's crazy to me, man. I know some of you are like, it's not crazy to me. But I'm saying, for me, crazy. From Dallas, the ocean's terrifying. And and how... Nothing... Nothing scares the Lord. Like, no, that's frightening. The Lord didn't even think that stuff's big. And we get that weird, queasy feeling when we look down from high buildings, and the Lord just never feels that. What's more majestic than Him? Nothing. You and I, if we will be leaders who are leading for the glory of God and not ourselves, we must be experts in His majesty. Look where he goes next, because this is the first thing, a realization that I am small. Oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name and all the earth. I need to realize I'm small, you're big, all right? I'm on the Andes mountain range, and you've spoken the universe into existence. That does something if you'll dial into it. If you won't dial into it, then it's not going to do anything for you, and you'll actually begin to feel like you're awesome. I'm going to love you here. You're not awesome. By any real standard, unless you're running in a herd of morons that you want to compare yourself to. You just, you can't be awesome in light of the God of the Bible. Like we look at him and look at you just so unimpressive, regardless of how naturally gifted you are. And by the way, any naturally gifts you have would have been put into you by God in your mother's womb, Psalm 139. So even your awesomeness is a reflection of his awesomeness, not yours. What did you do? You were born. Congrats. You didn't have anything to do with that. Right? We become experts in the majesty of God. And that decreases us and increases Him. And then from there, look where He goes next. Verse 3. When I look at your heavens and the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place. What is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Now there's a couple of things doing here. I'm going to expound on what we've already covered a bit. Um, One of the things you see happening in this text is something that I sense, I I believe, is kind of a dying art. Um, I I was in Washington, D.C. a few years ago and I went up to the Lincoln Monument. I wrote this um, beautiful piece um, from Lincoln that's a part of the Gettysburg Address. And the words and how he put sentences together was profound. And and at the same time, I was reading this book called The Shallows. 
talking about how our brains are being rewired with technology and our um, and and it struck me that that we really are um, losing the ability to contemplate deeply. We're losing our ability to become thinkers. So again, I'm I'm 40. Um, when I was growing up, you had to memorize everyone's phone number. You had to memorize it, or you had to write it down on one of those little goofy tablets by the phone that they'd put up. You know, you had to adjust it and find the number that way. But here. I'm guessing that most people in this room don't have more than two or three phone numbers memorized. Like, we don't have to do it anymore. Why do we do it? We just telephone. Call Bill. And then she calls Janet, you know. I'm just like, no, right? And so you, you don't have to, I said this, I think, last night, you don't have to learn to spell, right? Your computer does that for you. Because of the pace of life and the availability of information, few of us know anything deeply we just know a bunch of stuff at about an inch of depth. And that will not do to subdue the insidious monster of pride that is in you and in me. And what David's done here, I mean, you think about how this worked. What David has done is he's out and he sees the stars and he's looking up at all these. And what does he know about the stars, right? Like, what does he know? You think he knows how big that actually is up there? You think he knows how far that actually goes? You think he knows anything about how hot those things are burning and what he's actually seen? He doesn't. He's just out there looking up and he, and he puts it together. How majestic is your... What am I? What am I that you are mindful of me? What are we that you would even consider us? And he decreases and God increases. You must not only meditate upon the immense grandeur of God, but you must, you must watch it correlate to your lowly position and marvel at it. And there are times, brothers, I would not leave your house until that's happened. Brothers, there's, there's built-in time before you walk up into the pulpit so you can get that in your gut. Because where is there more temptation than right here? Where is there more temptation than right here? So we must be those that get before the Lord, marvel at His majesty, consider His immensity and grandeur, His imposing grandeur, and feel our spot, and then marvel that in His immensity, he is still aware of us. And that's what he says next. What is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? Like he knows us. Like really, know, he knows all the details about me. I got no secrets. He even knows the motivations that drive me and his grace covers me to the point where I can come in and go, God, I feel like I've got more. I'm not even sure what all's going on in there, but I know I want you to be exalted. I want you to hide me behind your cross. I'm not leaving here until I get that into my gut. Help me. And this is what it means to marvel at the holiness. I've got to stare at his majesty. But it can go one level deeper, and, and that's what I want us to see here. What, what I said is that um, the definition that we're working with on holiness is it describes both the majesty of God, and that's what we've been talking about, and the purity and moral perfection of his nature. And so now that's a tough one. 
the purity and moral perfection of his nature. So let me um, introduce a bit of chaos into the room. Um, here's what we know about God. Uh, we know that God is omnipotent. Right? He is all-powerful. There's nothing he can't do, right? He's all-powerful. We see this in the creation narrative. We watch this um, as Christ is the uh, image of the invisible God. We watch Christ operate in a way where he curses fig trees. He tells um, storms to stop. Told a couple dead people they weren't allowed to be dead. He's omnipotent. He's also omniscient. He is everywhere and all-knowing. And, and so here's what we've got to do. If God is holy, and to behold his holiness, his majesty, and to marvel at his purity and just moral perfection is what makes us low. Here's how I think this starts to work together. Um, if God is all-powerful, and he is all-knowing, and he is everywhere at once, and, and that's orthodoxy. All right? you, you start breaking down any of those, and then you, you've got some massive theological problems. <clears throat> I don't think he's all-powerful. I just think, you know, Sunday he's nailing stuff, and then, you know, I, and you got a problem, right? I don't think he knows. Every, he doesn't, you can't read my mind. See, you, one, of these, one of these O's falls apart, and you're in a lot of theological trouble. So then, what are we to do with so much horrific loss and brokenness in the world? So yesterday morning, at the hotel, my phone started blowing up, um, and a girl named Rachel Creed um, sings on the worship team at the village. <coughs> 26 years old, pregnant with her first child, 20 weeks pregnant. Um, um, wakes up in the middle of the night with this brutal headache. Um, finally gives way. Husband takes her to the hospital, finds uh, a brain tumor. Uh, did the MRI. They're, they're trying to work through it now. We, I, you know, I just kind of try to put her in touch with my doctors, and, and she's gone in for some tests. And um, Like, what do I do with that? If God's all-powerful, all-knowing, everywhere at once. How about rape? You want to take a stab at rape? You want to take a stab at genocide? Like, what do we do with this mess if this is true about our God? Okay, you ready? I'm going to step, I'm going to solve that. I'm going to solve the problem of evil. You ready? Get your pen. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But here's what we must acknowledge if we'll have any intellectual integrity at all. Our view is limited. Our view is limited, and so uh, that's the other thing that kind of helps decrease me and increase God. Not only His majesty, His power, His might, but also Him ruling perfectly in perfect moral purity, having no part in regards to being sinful. Like, how does that work? Gosh, I just don't know. But I love to go and read the last three chapters of Job. And then God spoke from the whirlwind, dressed for action like a man. I'll ask you questions and you answer me. And then just three brutal chapters. Where were you and I? Where were you and I? Surely you know. Where does this come from? What about this? How does this occur? Job's like, I'm sorry. Okay. Dressed for action like a man. I got some more questions. 
Where were you? What about this? How about this? And you know Job's answer? Don't know. And so in the brokenness and mess of the world, here's what I do know. He's good. And I don't know how to reconcile that. But I know he's good. I know he's gracious. I know the cross is the objective evidence that he is for us, not against us. That Christ came into the world not to condemn the world, but to save the world from condemnation. But right now, I don't have enough info. I am not the Alpha. I am not the Omega. I'm according to the Bible. Do on the grass. Like, you know that old adage, here today, gone tomorrow? Like, the Bible doesn't even give us that. Here today, gone today. We don't even make it to lunch. So for me to criticize or to shake my fist at the heavens is a lot like, I don't know if you're picking up on this, but movies are getting longer. Like longer and longer and longer and longer. And, and so it's like every movie that comes out and it's like three and a half hours long. Like who can do that? Not me. And, and so here, here's where so many people, especially those who aren't believers, they, they find their confidence in railing their fist at the heavens. Um, they walk into the middle of a four-hour movie, watch two seconds, walk back out, and they become experts on how things should be. Well, you know what he should have done? You know, what, what's going on in this movie is this, and it, right? No, you, have, you don't know anything. You don't know who's the good guy, who's the bad guy, what's leading to what, but our confidence is that God does. And we can be confident in this, that God is at work in the mess. That's why I love the Bible. so grimy. The Bible's so grimy, man. Death, murder, rape, natural disaster, it's all in there. Like God's not trying to hide that the universe is broken. it is clear that I will not always understand it. And praise God for the Apostle Paul when he says that he was perplexed but not crushed. You know why I like that? Because I've been perplexed. I've not got it. Like, I don't know how the death of a seven-year-old boy brings any glory to God. I don't know. I can't explain it. I don't know how the, the mother of three daughters dying of breast cancer right before her oldest graduates from high school brings any glory to God. I don't know how that works. And so what that does is when I know that God is morally perfect and upright, that there is no sin in Him, And I find myself as a pastor and as a leader navigating the brokenness of the world and weeping with those who weep and rejoicing with those who rejoice. I'm brought low by the fact that I do not know, but He does. That I lack answers, but He can bring peace. When somebody's infant goes down for a nap and doesn't wake up, theology had better already be in the heart. And then our role is presence. Our role is just to be there. And what I say when they ask me why is I don't know. I don't know, but I know he's good. I know he's for you. I know this isn't punitive. Let's pray. We'll just we'll stay here. We'll, we'll be here after all the family leaves. 
It's just you and your house. See, if we will lead for the glory of God, we must stop being impressed with ourselves. And few things take from us our belief in our own awesomeness like being perplexed but not crushed. Become an expert, an expert in the majesty of God. Marvel at it. Stay there. Again, for me, the last three chapters of Job will almost always put my heart there. It's almost become a pattern for me now before I preach, especially as I travel, what I want to do. Because like at the village, I'm just Matt. This Matt Chandler guy, he doesn't freaking exist at the village. It's just, you know, Matt. Something like this, I want to get on my face, I want to open up to Job 30, and I want to start to read. And I want to answer, I don't know, I don't even know what the Leviathan is. Is that the Loch Ness Monster? I mean, is that, extent, what is, I don't know. I, I didn't build any storehouses for the wind. I don't know how deep the depths are. I certainly was not there. I certainly do not know. I'm just going to camp out there. I'm going to camp out in Romans 11 and be reminded in that great benediction starting in verse 33 that God knows everything at a macro level. He knows everything at a micro level. He knows uh, every star and knows it by name. And He knows every cell on everything in the universe. And He never grows weary. And he never gets tired. And He never just needs a nap. And I want to, when we're done here tonight, I climb in bed, shaking off that last vestiges of jet lag. I want to think as I'm drifting off to sleep. God never needs to do this. He never needs to recharge. When I eat after this, I want to remember while I eat that God never needs to do this. He doesn't need to refuel or recharge. That's what I need to do. And it's a gift of God to remind me that I'm not Him. We will not lead for the glory of God if it's how majestic is my name in all of the earth. And listen, I'm not a fool. Most of us in here is like, never. Well, I'd be careful. We'll talk about this tomorrow, but um, all you got to do is just go read a little 2 Chronicles 26. All you got to do is watch David at that time that King should go to war for staying on his couch. You want me to keep going? I mean, you just pick a guy. I'd be really careful about that. No, no, no. I don't think my name is majestic in all of the earth. Maybe not yet, but you kind of want it to be, right? And it's that kind of wanting it to be that must be held in check by the majesty of God and the ignorance of our fragile being. If it is true, and it's in the Bible, so it is, that the proud God knows from afar, but the lowly in spirit, he is near, then wouldn't you fight for lowliness? Wouldn't wouldn't praise make you just a little nervous? Wouldn't your desire for more be frightening if God knows the proud from afar? Because hear me, what will we do without Him?
I can be funny if I wasn't doing this. Maybe some stand-up comedy would work. I know I'm a good motivator. Maybe if this didn't work out, I could be a coach or something. So I can hold attention. I can be funny. I can motivate. Cannot do the work of regeneration in anyone's heart. I can make people desire to be better, but without the Holy Spirit of God, without God doing what God does, nothing changes, nothing happens. There is no transformation, nothing. We've got to stay there. We feel drift happening. We've got to fight against it. Brothers, sisters, lead. Lead well. God is at work. God is at work. God is doing what God promised to do. Let us lie low and exalt his name. Let us lead to the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, I just want to agree with my brother Paul, marvel at you. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of you. How unsearchable are your judgments. How inscrutable are your ways. For who has known your mind or who has been your counselors? Who has given a gift to you that you might have to repay them? For from you and through you and to you are all things. To you be the glory forever and ever, Father. Help us. We need you. We are prone to make much of ourselves. We are glory hungry. And so maybe even in this room tonight, if there's a bit too much of us at stake, that you might lead us to confession. You might lead us to repentance. You might reignite in our hearts an awe, a marveling, a speechlessness when it comes to you. How could we even describe you in ways that are fair and that match your infinite worth? Like even what we're about to do, instruments and, and songs and our voices, how, how paltry next to the roar of the ocean, how small next to the clap of the thunder, how, how, um, how petty next to the crying out of the rocks, much less the things going on in the universe that I'm completely unaware of. And yet by the blood of Jesus, this is incense to your nostrils yet by the blood of Jesus this fills your throne room and so thank you for the gift of song for the gift of music that does stir our hearts that does help things in our mind get down into our guts and so help us now even now as we turn our mind and affection back to you and marvel at your majesty it's for your beautiful name I pray. Amen.